0: Hello, survivalists. Welcome to The Crux. I'm your host, Tessa King, and today I'm joined by my sister and co-host, Casey McIntosh. Today, we'll be talking about Jose Salvador Alvarenga, who was a 36-year-old fisherman who in 2012 embarked out to sea from a small fishing village of Costa Azul with a young and inexperienced crewmate, 22-year-old Ezekiel Cordoba. They had no idea that they were about to be caught in a storm that would threaten their lives. So first off, I would just like to tell you that my main source is from an article in The Guardian, which is mostly an excerpt from the book 438 Days by Jonathan Franklin. So I suppose that you would know how long the survival story A very long, <laughs> very long period. Oh, some, something like over a year, maybe? Maybe. Alvarenga was a fisherman who usually worked with a man named Ray Perez. So on this trip in 2012, he was embarking on a two-day journey, but at the last minute, Perez was unable to join him. So instead, he enlisted the help of Ezekiel Cordoba, who he had never worked with before. What kind of equipment do you think you would take on a two-day fishing expedition?
1: Um, definitely some food, some water, but probably not nearly enough water to last very many days. Food and water. That's pro- maybe a change of clothes.
0: And it is a fishing expedition, so... Fishing gear, of course. Yeah. But that's, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. It has to be there. Okay, it's actually a surprising amount... Of gear, They had 70 gallons of gas, 16 gallons of water, a lot, 50 pounds of sardines, 700 hooks, miles of line, a harpoon, knives, buckets, a cell phone, ice, and a GPS tracking device. Like I said, Alvarenga was an experienced dude.
1: So all they're going to eat are sardines?
0: I guess I didn't really say what kind of food they had. Maybe they eat what they catch but it doesn't sound like they had really good cooking gear on the boat all right they're not culinary people i guess yeah it just didn't seem like something that you'd really want to spend a lot of time on this boat it was a 25 foot long boat the article said that it was as long as two pickup trucks and about as wide as one it had no raised structure so it was a flat boat no glass and no running lights in other words, it was pretty much invisible to anybody who's looking for it. Mm, a great inconvenience for the story. On their trip, they filled a fiberglass crate full of tuna, mahi-mahi, and shark. It was a lot of fish. They are almost ready to go back. But on November 17, 2012, they were ambushed at sea by a massive storm. The spray from the storm... And the crashing waves dumped hundreds of gallons onto the boat. And they were 50 miles out to sea. As I said once or twice before, (laughs) (laughs) Alvaranga was an experienced captain. He focused on aligning the boat with the waves. Why would he do that?
1: Aligning, like teeing up to them. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise
0: it's going to flip over. Yeah, exactly. So if you are not... An experienced boatsman. (laughs) (laughs) I know someone who's going to judge you. (laughs) Sailor? Do you want me to say sailor? (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking of any watercraft, right? If you're going down the river in a kayak or a canoe, what have you, if you go sideways in a rapid, you're you're in for it. Exactly. And if you've never been on a boat, if you're not used to that, you might not have any clue. It is easy to kind of be... Tilted to the side and flipped when you're in a small boat. Yeah. So you want to glide and slice through the water like a surfer.
1: All right. Glide and slice. That's my new motto for life right
0: there. Yeah. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Yet there are high waves. It's a really slow advance towards the shore. And in the meantime, Alvarenga is steering the boat, but Cordoba is frantically bailing water back into the ocean. Because like I said, there are hundreds of gallons of water being dumped into their boat. I need to see a picture of this boat. I don't know if they uh, yeah, we'll get to it. OK. The weather gets progressively worse, and they're slowly moving forward. Cordoba is getting more and more disheartened. And at certain points, he's saying that he doesn't want to bail water anymore. He's getting tired. The repetitive motion is hard on his shoulders. And he starts to cry and throw up. And he's desperately ah. clutching at the railing of the boat. He was sure that the craft would shatter and that sharks would eat them.
1: This sounds terrible.
0: Yeah, so Cordoba is screaming, and the storm is so strong that the harbor masters on the shore were barring fishermen from sailing out. Alvarenga is steering the boat and he's staying calm. He was determined to navigate back to shore, slide and glide. But he's not like getting sprayed at one. Is he inside of the craft? Oh, it's just like a flat craft. So with he's no, on. The,
1: so there's no like. Yeah, it's just a basic boat. And this he's staring on the top of it.
0: And they're in Mexico, right? So it's presumably warm most of the time. It should be no big deal that it's not really like a covered but boat.
1: He, he's, so he's, you're saying Out he's in totally the element. in the open?
0: Yes. Okay. He keeps navigating back to shore. The cloud cover lifted around 9 o'clock in the morning, and he could see a mountain in the distance. He thought he was about two hours away from land, but... The motor on the boat started to give out. So,
1: okay, how many hours had elapsed? How long was the storm about? Well, actually, the
0: storm lasts for five days. Oh, my gosh. No. So the storm is not over. Just the clouds have lifted enough for them to be like, hey, there's a shore over there. And so since the clouds had lifted and they could kind of see where they were, Alvaranga calls his boss on the radio that they have to report the ruined motor. Unfortunately, their GPS was no longer functional, as it was not waterproof. Oh, seems like an oversight on a boat, but he was able to radio his boss, and his boss instructs him to lay down the anchor. Alvarenga says, we have no anchor. Oh, no. He didn't think they would need one on a deep sea mission.
1: I'm learning a lot already, so
0: okay. always bring an anchor. <laughs> always have an anchor. Have Slide a Yes, that's
1: waterproof. <laughs> Slide and glide. Maybe um, more than 16 gallons of water. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're coming to get you, Alvarenga's boss says on the radio. And Alvarenga says, come now. I'm really getting effed out here. How are they going to find him, though? He doesn't even have his coordinates. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the last thing that they had on the radio from these two. So this morning progresses, and Alvaranga and Cordoba combine their efforts to lean against sides of the boat to brace against rolling waves. So they were rolling and breaking above the height of the boat. Wow. So they're running side to side to brace the boat, make sure it doesn't flip. So you're saying they had a calm in the storm, and now the storm
1: picked up. Presumably a lot.
0: Yes. Here's a quote from the book. They could be at a third-story view, then, with the sensation of a falling elevator, instantly drop. Unfortunately, both men were wearing sandals, which gave them no traction on the deck. And also make you really prone to twisting your ankle. Exactly. And the boat was top-heavy because of their huge catch. They had over a 1,000 pounds of fish on board. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about all the fish. Which would be good in this scenario because they would have a food source. But with the storm, they decided they had to get rid of the weight because they're Mm top-heavy. They're flinging the carcasses overboard, and then there was added danger because there's blood from the fish in the water. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's even more perilous if they go overboard because there's blood in the water. Yep. Next, over the board, over the boat went um, ice and their gasoline. Ice? Yeah, they brought ice on their trip. Oh, so anything that was heavy, essentially. And then gasoline. around
1: gasoline. Oh, I guess their their engine doesn't work anyway, right? Yeah, their motor's dead. Yeah.
0: Around ten. So they called at 9. 10 is when their radio died. This is where they started to feel like they were truly on their own. And the storm continued to rage all day as the men frantically bailed water out of the boat. They were able to dump about half the water in the boat, but the storm still going. As the sun sank, it became really, really cold. And what they had to do was turn their icebox upside down and huddle together inside the icebox.
1: So at least it sounds like the storm quieted
0: down a little bit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do that, right? No, it was still going. Oh. Water continues to splash over the sides, so they had to take turns getting out of the icebox and bail for 10 to 15 minutes and then switch shifts. That's crazy. That's
1: determination. I guess what other choice do you have,
0: though? Yeah, drown or bail. Bail or bail. 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 Choose your bail. And during this night, the wind is carrying them farther and farther out to sea. So after this five-day storm, the men had no bait or any way to catch fish, so they had to get creative. What Alvarenga would do is kneel at the side of the boat, and he would put his arms into the water up to his shoulders if, if there were no sharks mm-hmm. because they were very wary of sharks, And he would have his chest tightly pressed against the side of the boat. Basically, he would keep his hands steady and shoulder-width apart. And if fish swam between them, he would try to smash his hands together to get them. A lot of trial and error there.
1: Yeah. Doesn't sound real effective. It probably took hours.
0: Exactly. It took a lot of time for him to master it. Eventually, he could catch fish and throw them on board. They still had a fishing knife and were able to clean the fish. Sometimes they would dry the fish on the boat in the sun, but they ate it both dried and raw because they were so hungry.
1: I thought they were going to maybe use that fish to catch other fish. Do they still have their
0: fishing equipment? They didn't have any, anything left to catch fish. And as the days passed, they start to drink their own urine. They were, of course, wary of drinking the seawater. They were occasionally able to catch turtles and if they did, they were able to drink their blood. You got to be thirsty to drink turtle blood. Yeah. It's not what probably are your options? As, as bad as bat blood. I'm just going to guess. Throwback tomorrow. <laughs> Here's a quote for, from Alvaranga. He said, "I was so hungry that I was eating my own fingernails, swallowing all the little pieces. Sometimes he was able to catch jellyfish and swallow them whole. He said, it burned the top part of my throat, but it wasn't too bad. Well, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. (laughs) Because they weren't stinging them on the way down. Fourteen days in, it rained. They had buckets, so they had some rainwater collection. So they did have some means of fresh water if it was raining, other than turtle blood and their own pee. At the point where they were weeks at sea, Alvaranga and Cordoba We're starting to scan the water for supplies. If they saw floating plastics, they might be water bottles, so they could have another source of fresh water. Mm -hmm. Sometimes plastic bags were in the water, and they could find old groceries. Crazy. So there must have been a lot of garbage floating around. At two months at sea, Alvarenga has really mastered catching and eating birds and turtles. But at two months, Cordoba has declined both physically and mentally. At this point, he begins to refuse food, and he doesn't really have any motivation anymore. I know where this is going. That's not a good sign. It's not a good sign, but I don't blame him. I think at the two-month point, you're probably losing a lot of your hope. Yeah. They both make a pact together. To see each other's families if they make it out of the situation. Mm -hmm. But about four months in, one day, Cordoba says, I am dying. I am dying. I am almost gone. Alvaranga lays down next to him and says, don't think about that. Let's just take a nap. Cordoba says, I'm tired. I want water. He's breathing heavy but could not drink the water offered up by Alvarenga. He convulsed and his whole body tensed up. Alvarenga was panicked and screamed at Cordoba, don't leave me alone, you have to fight for life. But moments later, Cordoba died with his eyes open. Alvarenga said, I propped him up to keep him out of the water. I was afraid a wave might wash him out of the boat. I cried for hours. That would be so horrible.
1: That would be very horrible.
0: Alvarenga would speak to Cordoba as the day went by, and he would answer his own questions. Basically, he would converse with Cordoba, even though Cordoba was deceased. He kept the body on board for six days before he realized what he was doing. It was night, and he was in full conversation with Cordoba before he sort of snapped out of it and realized that he was talking with a dead person.
1: I'm sure that it would be so difficult to be in a situation like that by yourself because there's nothing more lonely
0: in the whole world than that i washed his feet his clothes were useful so i stripped off a pair of shorts and a sweatshirt i put that on it was red with little skull and crossbones and then i dumped him in as i slid him into the water i fainted i think it was interesting that he washed cordoba's feet Maybe it's a ritual type thing. I looked it up because what comes to mind for me is uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Mm -hmm. A website called Christianity Today says that washing feet is baptism-like. So people used it to purify the dead also as far as jesus and the disciples it's the ultimate act of humility putting someone before you washing their feet mhm cuz peter kind of stinky <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and if you think about it a lot of people who are in mexico are catholics so true the whole baptism thing really makes sense to me mhm Alvarenga said later in regard to the death of Cordoba, Why had he died and not me? I had invited him to fish. I blamed myself for his death. Survivor's guilt. Yeah, and his friend, who was a more experienced fisherman, was supposed to come with him. I'm sure his friend felt like he dodged a bullet later.
1: Yeah. Also, I just wonder, you know, you mentioned earlier that Cordoba that he was already showing some signs of like maybe mental fatigue early on. Oh, from the very first storm. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, it would be really interesting to learn more about that. You know, just
0: the psychology behind all of it. Absolutely. Alvarenga had a strong will to live and he had a deep seated fear of suicide which was religion based mm-hmm. because his mother had always told them that if you kill yourself, you won't get in heaven. So he kept searching for a way out of the predicament, keeping an eye out for some way to get to shore. The early mornings and evenings were the best way to evaluate where he was because the sun was more bearable and it was easier to identify shapes in the distance. Mm-hmm. He would often see sea barges huge boats with no visible crew he said that they would move through the water kind of drone-like but every time he would see one he would feel a jolt of excitement and get up and wave his arms for hours was this something that was like phantom it could be or it could be re- like me they're so big and remember his boat's almost so invisible tiny. it's not raised there's no lights so just a lot of frustration for him He would spend all day imagining and walking along the boat to stay sane. And he also had a way to tell how long he'd been on the boat. When he was a kid, his grandfather had taught him how to keep track of time with cycles of the moon. Mm -hmm. He was able to count how many months he had been adrift. He knew that he had seen about 15 lunar cycles in unknown territory. 15 lunar cycles is approximately 15 months, what I looked up. One lunar cycle is about 29 and a half days. Okay, so I just thought it was interesting. It's kind of like what you touched base on, the psychology of staying alive on a boat, stranded, alone. And I think I've read some other books where it seemed like the party who was the most unwilling to put in the effort or the, if they were, I don't know, how, how would you say it? Yeah. You don't
1: want to, you don't want to like discount what they went through, but Mm -hmm. the person that is less determined Mm -hmm.
0: is less likely who has less hope. Yep. So I found this article called lost at sea, the medicine physiology and psychology of prolonged immersion. It was a research article from the U S national library of medicine Basically, it was going over what helps people stay sane in an environment where they're isolated like this. It said that prayer and recitation, including having mantras, saying things over and over, compete for the same cognitive resources, which enables the suppression of worrying thoughts and helps you reduce anxiety. That's interesting. Yeah. If you're focused on something, it helps you
1: get through it. Yeah. That makes me think of another story that we might have to tell later, so I can't give anything away. Yeah. Stay tuned. But, you know, there's also ICU psychosis. Have you heard of that? No, tell me Where about people it. People in the ICU kind of develop that same sort of experience because everything is the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm sure there's also illness that's going along with that and contributing to that, but I can see how it would be pretty easy to end up in a situation that you because sitting here like okay we're not deprived of food or water and mm-hmm. we've been sleeping regularly and whatnot and so it seems hard to believe that you would just lose it but when you're out on a boat like that and you're seeing the same every single day is the same yeah. you know
0: and you don't have to use much cognitive function you that's don't have true problem solve i mean besides trying to catch fish or whatever you're trying to do you don't have to really critically think that's interesting This article also said that survival requires goal-directing planning and action, which he was doing, trying to figure out how he could get to shore, Mm -hmm. what's in the water that he can use. It said that keeping the brain engaged implies hope in a future and prevents brain inertia, leading to apathy. Mm -hmm. It's a coping technique frequently used by long-term survivors. Coversely, an empty mind... With no goal related thought is characteristic of the clinical demotivational state, which is what Cordoba was going through. He wasn't really thinking of the future, more about the situation they were in. And then another interesting thing this article said was it was found amongst prisoners of war that those close to giving up and relinquishing life could be recovered if they were made to do something, no matter how trivial. A survivor needs two types of routine, one to break up the day and the other to fill the day. It helps with your memory and decision-making. And just as a side note, not really related to this article, but remember when we were talking about Todd Orr, and he had that quote saying, if you think that you can survive and you make a choice, then you can get through it. Yeah. Something to that effect. And it seems like Alvarenga had that state of mind that he thought that he could get through it. It's like the Nike emblem. Just do it. Just do it. Just stay alive.
1: Yeah. Well, and sometimes the emotional part of our brains kind of takes over the intelligible part of your brain.
0: Yeah. I don't really know where I would fall in this category because Cordoba died around month four, but Alvarenga was out over a year. Uh Uh-huh. It's crazy. I don't know if I could mentally stay with it or survive.
1: He was just super ultra-determined, I guess.
0: Yeah, I might just waste away. Turtle blood. Uh (laughs) I couldn't do that. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? Who knows what I would do in a scenario like that? I think
1: who knows what anyone would do in a situation Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, there are probably not very many people that could definitively say, for sure, I would have a good outlook. Because time is going to wear that
0: away. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's just a question of how long. Anyway, so back to Alvarenga. Eventually, after all of this looking, he sees a tropical island. And he thinks that he's hallucinating. But as he's seeing it and it's not going away, he decided, hey, hallucinations, they just don't last that long. When he drifted close enough to shore, he jumps overboard and swam the rest of the way. I held a handful of sand like it was treasure, Alvarenga said. Did he leave everything on the boat? He just jumped off. It didn't say that he grabbed anything, but I wouldn't suppose that there was much there. He had washed ashore on Tile Islet. It was a small island that's part of the Eben Atoll on the southern tip of of the 1,156 islands that make up the Republic of Marshall Islands. It's one of the most remote spots on Earth. This article said that a boat leaving Ebon searching for land would either have to turn 4,000 miles northeast to hit Alaska or 2,500 miles southwest to Brisbane, Australia. So it's not exactly the best place to land up? No, it was, because otherwise he would have been going for 2,500 to 4,000 miles oh, on the so boat. There was nothing.
1: Yeah, but I guess what I was saying, if, if it's in the middle of nowhere, there are probably fewer boats out there.
0: Sure. Well, uh, yeah, he probably wouldn't have run into anybody either. But this article said had he missed Eben, he would have drifted north of Australia. Crazy. Yeah. So he's on this island going through all the greenery and eventually finds himself across a canal from a home. What? Yeah, people are living there. It was the home, and I'm sorry if I butcher their names, of Ellie Leibameco and Russell Lackadrick. Emmy said, he looks weak and hungry. My first thought was, this person swam here. He must have fallen off a ship. When they see each other, they can't understand each other. So on these islands, the people speak Marshallese or Ebon, which is a Micronesian language. So these people are native to this area. Exactly. It's not like they just no, they weren't just like Ladi am here. <laughs> We're also survivors. <laughs>
1: this is my tenth home.
0: Yeah, it's very luxurious in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So here is Alvarenga, who's speaking Spanish. He said, even though we did not understand each other, I began to talk and talk. The more I talked, the more we all roared with laughter. I'm not sure why they were laughing. I was laughing at being saved. One of the rescuers, Russell, sailed to the main town of Eben to get help for Alvarenga. And when they got a boat to him, they had to persuade him to get back on the boat to Eben. I can see why. It's yeah. like, I'm never getting on one of those things again. I just found land. <laughs> are you kidding me? I think I'm going to move here for good. <laughs> this seems nice. We'll in this Micronesian language. It's fine. <laughs> Do you want to know how far away he was from their starting point? Wow. It was 6,700 miles. And after all of this happened, people are really unsure if the story is real. Is he a fraud? I think it's just because so many days out at sea, people can't really wrap their head around how that is possible. It's just unfathomable. Unfathomable.
1: Yeah. Well, definitely that would be a way (laughs) of describing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So here are some quotes from Jonathan Franklin, the author of the book covering Alvarenga's story. So Jonathan Franklin says, days later, after he was rescued, Alvarenga faced the world's press. Dressed in a baggy brown sweatshirt that disguised his reedy torso, he disembarked from a police boat slowly but unaided. Expecting a gaunt and bedridden victim, a ripple of disbelief went through the crowd. Who survives 14 months at sea? Only a Hollywood screenwriter could write a tale in which such a journey ends happily. I was skeptical. So Franklin goes on to say, I spoke with some oceanographers and commercial fishermen familiar with the area. Everyone confirmed that Alvarenga's version of life at sea was in line with what they would expect. When he arrived at the hospital in the Marshall Islands, he was debriefed by the U.S. Embassy officials who described multiple scars on Alvarenga's very damaged body. The U.S. ambassador said he was out there for a long time. In other words, Franklin really believed the story. Otherwise, he wouldn't be writing his book. Come I on. would hope not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine what it would be like to come home from a situation like that where you barely made it out and people were criticizing you. I mean, you could say mm-hmm. that about any of these stories that we've talked about. But just, Truly. you know, you've been through this harrowing experience and
0: then people are judging you. And why would you do that to yourself? Because he's emaciated he is not in good shape why would you put your body through that just for a story yeah i don't know some people think that fame is a pretty
1: attractive thing i mean i'm I'm not i'm not doubting him i'm just saying i think
0: that's where the critics yeah are coming from after this whole endeavor alvarenga had really swollen legs and feet because his tissue had been deprived of water and now they soaked up everything so it sounds like he had a little bit of edema and he was diagnosed with anemia. He didn't probably have too balanced of a diet. And his diet of raw turtles and birds had infected his liver with parasites. Oh. Not great. But at least it's All reversible. things considered, it's not the worst. Yeah. After all of this, he had a fear of the ocean, even the sight of water. He couldn't handle it. He needed to sleep with lights on and needed constant company after all the isolation. And he had to hire a lawyer to handle the media representation. And one more thing I thought was kind of sad is the family of Ezekiel Cordoba sued him. Oh, no. For a million dollars because they thought that he probably ate Cordoba. And they didn't instead believe Instead of tossing him over the boat. Did they win the lawsuit? You know, the thing I looked at just stated this fact. It didn't say. I I don't think they would have. I think it would have been reported in that article. Mm -hmm. But Alvarenga's lawyer denied the accusation. But I don't know. Would you even blame him if he had? Yeah. I mean, at that
1: point, the the good thing is he'd already figured out how to catch fish. Right. So if you had a choice, you're probably going to choose fish over.
0: Yeah. But you would think that. He would have a little more compassion for a guy who'd been on a boat for a year.
1: Oh yeah. You mean the family should yeah. have more
0: compassion. Yeah, I mean I'm sure a lot of grief was involved in that decision making, so I have no oh, place. To talk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what did what do you end up doing after all of this? I
0: did not see. I'm just I always wonder I do which, too. How do you live your life after something so major Mm -hmm. and there's just so much to the story that's probably why a lot of these articles focus just on the story it's a long time to be at sea a lot of things happened to him to sum up his story he said i suffered hunger thirst and extreme loneliness and didn't take my life you only get one chance to live so appreciate it i was curious to see if that was the longest time at sea But according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the longest known time which anyone has survived adrift at sea is approximately 484 days. Which was? Which was by the Japanese captain Oguri Jikuchi. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) And one of his sailors, Tukichi. And that was in 1813. So. Wow. I don't know how well documented that is because some sites say that uh, corda well not cordoba that alvaranga is the longest documented survival at sea it makes you want to just jump on a boat right now doesn't yeah, it Yeah, let's go to the ocean that sums up everything if you enjoy our podcast please go rate and review tell your friends and stay alive and also you can leave comments for us
1: on our webpage, which is um, on wordpress and you can do our email which is the crux
0: dot and please send us more survival stories that you'd like to hear about that'd be awesome have a good week all right Bye. bye